Welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. And that excitement you hear in my voice is the excitement of a teacher who had a snow day, who woke up at four in the morning to get his workout in. And while doing burpees, realized that it was actually going to be a snow day, even though my school district was like, I remember checking last year and it was like, we never do snow days, <laughs> basically what it said. Um, but yeah, man, I'm excited. I'm so excited for this week's episode to share with you guys. Um, we have Courtney DeWalter on the podcast. And I mean, what more is there to be said about Courtney? Um, she's just this incredible, inspirational, complete badass ultra runner, uh, just fresh off of winning ultra runner of the year. Um, she's a legend in the sport. And especially when you go to like current runners right now, um, there's just legends about Courtney. It's amazing. You're like, who's this person that won a 240 mile race in by 10 hours? Who's this person who took on this, the insanity that is Big's Backyard Ultra and ran a four-mile loop for over 67 hours and 279 miles in that time. Um, I mean, when we're just talking even about modern-day athletes, when you're talking about the stories around them, Courtney has got to be at the very top. Um and the best part of this all is she's just a mild-mannered, chilled out, just regular person. And you'll hear that when when you're talking to her. I love talking to some of these like really elite athletes and trying to get into their mindsets and realizing like sometimes their mindset is, no, you just go out and do it. Um, it's that simple. You know, it's hard to explain. But when this is the thing that you do, you just go out. And you get it done and obstacles are not going to stop you from accomplishing what you want to accomplish. Um, and so I hope you take that away from this episode. I really wanted to kind of and it's funny, like I was thinking back to our conversation we had and I was like, man, I think I asked her this same question like three times, but it was truly because I could not wrap my head around it. And it's the idea of like when you're ahead when you're leading a race, how do you silence that voice that's saying maybe you shouldn't be leading, that voice of doubt? And how do you how do you put up with it? Because, you know, some of us have had it ha like I've had it happen, but it's been in like a 10K or it's been in a half marathon where I know in, you know, in not even a couple, not even two hours, the voice is going to be gone because the race is going to be over. But to imagine trying to silence this voice of doubt for hours and sometimes even days in these races is just something that's I I still I still can't completely wrap my head around it but uh but yeah so anyways let's get let's just get into the show uh Courtney thank you so much for coming on the podcast I really really appreciated talking with you you are incredible um just such an inspiration and and I'm just really honored that I'm able to actually sit down and and talk to some of the most elite performers in the whole entire world so thank you Courtney all right 
Let's get into it. This is the Like a Bigfoot podcast number 132 with the great Courtney DeWalter. As a fellow middle school science teacher, I have to say like being a survivor of middle school of teaching, (laughs) you know, like I feel like middle school science or middle school teachers in general can just look at each other on the street and like nod out of respect and like, yeah, you just know. Yeah, yeah, you totally know. Right. Yeah, There should be like a badge or like, yeah, some way where you can identify each other quickly. Yeah, exactly. You kind of can from like the bags under your eyes and the fifth (laughs) cup of coffee, you know, frazzled hair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of like, I don't know for me, and I don't know if your experience is the same, but I got into trail running and ultra running kind of because I was a teacher, weirdly enough, because I would leave school and I would be like, man, I need an hour to myself just to get my brain back after talking to 14 year olds all day, you know? So did you have that at all? Like, was that part of it kind of, or, um, I don't think I became an ultra runner because of the teaching. Those paths just kind of happened at the same time. Like my first years of teaching, I was running a lot. Just, yeah, I don't know, to get outside and to get some air after being in a classroom all day long. Um, And then it's just sort of evolved since then to the ultra running world. Yeah, that's awesome. Did your, have your students that you've had like reached out ever since, you know, you've kind of just started like, winning all sorts of races and and all that stuff um i'm in touch with some of them yeah yeah are they just like it's weird now i mean i um taught for nine years so like those kids i was teaching in the first years are you know mid-20s now and having kids and you know graduating college it's crazy yeah it is (laughs) it's so weird i know and now because i i just saw actually one of my students on uh, Facebook, he's probably like a freshman in college and he like posted something about studying for anatomy and he posted like all of his notes he had to take. And I'm like, dude, when you were in seventh grade, I couldn't get you to take one note. Like <laughs> I sent him a message. I'm like, I am proud of you as a science teacher right now. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Do you think there's any... Um, any lessons you learned from teaching you brought to running or vice versa? Um, I don't know. I think like ultra running over the years has taught me more patience, I think than I initially had. So, um, I would, you know, try to implement that in the classroom, but I don't know if it like directly correlated for me. I also think for teaching, you do a ton of planning on the front end of your lessons, you know, and, and the unit that you're going to teach. And that's kind of like ultra running and preparing for a race. Like there's all this front end planning that you can do and you can be as prepared as possible, but then the race comes and like everything goes out the window because there's a wrench in the plan, you know, sort of like teaching sometimes. Yeah, (laughs) Like you have to like ride the waves kind of. Yeah, or like, oh, never mind, that's not working. Like, <laughs> pivot and try something new. Yeah. So yeah. I think there's some parallels there, probably. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I wanted to kind of ask you, transitioning from, like, going into running full-time. And you said you did that two years ago. You, like, 
stopped teaching and now you're kind of like a full-time athlete. Is that weird? How is that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I feel really lucky that this is what I get to do right now. And um, I'm just taking advantage of this point in my life and the support of, you know, my husband and some companies and, you know, all of the pieces just fitting together for right now and, and enjoying it. Yeah. Riding the wave. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any time where it feels like work? Cause I don't, I don't know. I'm just like, it goes from being kind of like a hobby that you're really competitive at, but then becoming like the thing that you do now. Yeah. Yeah. I've been trying really hard to make sure it, it never feels like work where it's not fun anymore Yeah, and it's, it's still running, you know, and um, maybe now there's more pieces or more emailing or things like that, but it's still running and that's really fun. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, can you kind of like take us back? Like what was, what led you into just running in general? Like, were you always a runner? Uh, I started running in seventh grade. Yeah. Um, so through middle school and high school, I was running and uh, took it to college just as a way to keep training for Nordic skiing. And then after college, um, was running to just stay fit and get outside. Yeah. 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 You're so, you're a Minnesotan, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So are you jealous of their temperatures right now or? <laughs> Like, are you like, I those mean, are perfect Nordic skiing? Yeah, I'm like, that's t-shirt and shorts weather, Minnesota. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, wow. that's been insane. Like the Arrowhead uh, 135 went on. Do you know the... It just happened? Yeah, during Dude. this polar vortex. <laughs> You'll have to look up the pictures from it. People's faces are just like icicles, basically. Well, I was actually, I, I wondered that the other day if that actually was still going on because I saw a few races up there. So they didn't cancel it or anything? Nope. Dude. No, ultra it's runners Minnesota. Are <laughs> Minnesotan ultra runners are way more badass, I think. They're pretty hardy. It was, yeah. It's incredible that those people pushed through that. Those that temperatures is. were, I mean, like instantly frozen if you're, you had skin exposed. That's insane. And people actually finished? Yeah, yeah. Dude, that is the craziest thing. Because my dad just moved to Wisconsin, and it's like negative 35 without wind chill there. And I'm like, dude, don't go outside. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you choose Wisconsin over Minnesota? You know, good question. Because all he wanted was <laughs> lakes. And I'm like, hey, Minnesota is the land of a 1,000 lakes. Yeah, 10,000. 10,000. My bad. Sorry, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Get your numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. So what made you get into Nordic skiing? Um, I know it's definitely a Minnesotan thing, but but like, I don't know. It just, I've heard that's the hardest endurance racing thing you could possibly do. It is a total Minnesota thing. And like all the high schools there have teams and, um, you know, you compete every week, sort of like cross country running. So for me, it I was running cross country in the fall and track in the spring, and it was the perfect way to uh, link the two seasons of running and stay fit. Yeah. And then I just really loved it and found that um, I enjoyed racing Nordic skiing as well. That's awesome. Were you always like out competing or like winning races, or was that not something that was common for you? 
in Nordic skiing or just in like middle school and high school? Um, I mean, I did fine yeah. in cross country running and then Nordic skiing. I had a kind of learning curve where I was really bad at it at the start. Um, and like sometimes would even just not practice and I would pour like soda into the snow and just eat the snow. <laughs> like, <laughs> like make your own snow cones instead of training. <laughs> 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 That's and hilarious. I remember when I started Nordic ski racing, I would finish a race and I would be so proud if I only fell like eight times during the race as opposed to, you know, 10 or yeah. whatever. So my parents, that was always their first question when I finished. How many times did you fall? <laughs> and over time, that number became less. That's good. But yeah, and then yeah, you became it wasn't pretty... pretty at first. Yeah. So was, were you frustrated with it or is it just, I mean, are your, your personality kind of seems like you're just kind of a go with the flow, but was it always that way or is that something you learned over time? Uh, I think I wasn't frustrated with it, but I wanted to figure it out. So I was, you know, going out on weekends by myself to just like practice and, and figure out how to stop tripping oh, yeah. over my poles everywhere. Yeah. 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 yeah that's not like, yeah, you have to figure that skill out. I got to imagine. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I was thinking about this the other day. Cause like I said, before we started this, I'm like, man, Courtney's been interviewed by like so many different people and all that. And I, I just haven't heard you answer this question before. So I wonder I'm just very curious, like the very first time in a race, and I don't care, it might have been seventh grade, but the very first time where you found yourself in first place, what was like going through your head at that point? Uh, probably don't mess up. <laughs> That's why I'm curious. Yeah. Did you? So you had that voice, that voice of doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, wondering if, if I'm supposed to be in that place, you know, or... Or did I make a mistake and I was supposed to hang back longer? Or... Yeah. Because yeah. you get in first and then all of a sudden you have this extra pressure, extra stress added onto you of like everyone knows I'm in first and everyone knows if I'm going to blow it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a weird thing. And then so I was thinking about that and I was like, I wonder if Courtney had that kind of like self-doubt talk and then you know, if you're in seventh grade and you're in a mile run or whatever, you have that self self talk for like, I don't know, like six minutes maybe. But when you're out there at a hundred miler or a 200 miler and you find yourself in first, like early on or halfway through the race, you have to deal with that voice for the rest of the time. And, or, or do you, or does it just not happen anymore? Uh, no, for sure. I mean, especially 200 miles. I mean, that's a lot of hours out there. So, um, you can, you know, go in and out of a lot of dialogues with yourself, but definitely assessing what's going on and like wondering if, if you made the right move or if you should have, you know, started more conservatively or, um, what's happening behind you because, you know, you never know really. Um, so yeah, that voice is always there. And, and I think it's important to not really get caught up in it because you can control so many things in an ultra and what other people are doing or, or, um, yeah, that self doubt, like that's not helpful. Yeah. So trying to just push aside some of that stuff. 
Yeah. Did you have it much? Like, I know Western States is just like the Super Bowl of ultras, it seems like. And there's all these just like incredible athletes there. Um, and you like found yourself in first. Like, when that happened, what were you thinking in that moment? Yeah, I think it that happened around mile 55, okay. maybe. Um, and then it was just like, all right, you got to put your foot on the gas and go because you just made a move that you you got to try and hold on to. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, it was don't mess up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I just I can't imagine dealing with that for whatever, like seven hours or eight hours. You know, I can't imagine trying to silence that voice or like even if it is like way in the background where you're probably thinking about a billion other things, too. But like trying to keep that down for that long just seems like it's a difficult thing to do. Yeah, you can also, I think, use it like flip switch it and use it as fuel. Like I just assumed once I was there that every mile I was doing the people behind me were doing faster. Okay. And so like using it to fuel me to keep pushing as hard as I possibly could, assuming that, you know, I was being hunted down and, and that they were gaining. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which is a fun game. That is cool. There's something about <laughs> running through the woods thinking you're being hunted or yeah. that you're hunting someone <laughs> yeah. that is like one of the coolest aspects of ultra running that you can't really explain to people. Yeah. You know? <laughs> But that's cool. So when when you ended up like, is it awkward when you pass someone who's in first? Like ultra running, such a friendly sport, you know. And you're in second, and then you pass someone in first. Like, is that an awkward moment or what? Um, it, no, I don't think so. I yeah. mean, yeah, we were friendly, and I knew the person, and we're friends, you know. So, yeah. um, it was cool to like have a moment together out on the trail and, and to encourage each other, but then to just keep pushing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause it's weird. Cause kind of like you have a camaraderie, but you're like, we are competing still. Right. You right. Know? But yeah, that's crazy. Okay. I just really was curious about that because I, do you have any other strategies to handle that, that voice or what? Like I just, I, like I said, that long, of, of something that could possibly negative be a negative talk and like how that can completely derail a race. Yeah, I think I'm not sure. I think a thing I often find myself saying to myself during these races is just, you're fine. Like this is fine. Everything's fine. No matter if I'm puking in the bushes or like feeling really good. Yeah. This is fine. This is going exactly to plan. And so instead of like, having those self-doubts and and continuing to question you know the pace or what am i doing up here or, or why am i where i am in the race to just i'm fine this is fine this is perfect everything's fine yeah yeah <laughs> that's you're even when up in it's the... a straight up lie yeah <laughs> <laughs> do you do you use pacers at all uh, yeah, sometimes. Okay. Definitely like Tahoe 200. I loved sharing with Pacer. So, um, I used them the whole way that we could pick them up. So mile 60, we could get our first Pacer and it's a 205 mile race. So yeah, yeah, there were a lot of people who joined me for miles and I think, um, mostly I just enjoy that as a way to share the experience and to be able to then 
have this thing afterwards that you can talk about and what happened out there, you know, like go through the stories is yeah. pretty fun. Yeah. Like your pacers, like remember when you were throwing up in the bush saying, I'm fine. Everything's yeah, fine. Yeah. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> this is exactly according to plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what made, what made, like, where did you hear about ultras? Like what, what originally like planted the seed? I did some road marathons. Um, and then near where I was living at the time, there was a 50 K and so having done 26 on the roads, 50K didn't sound that much crazier. And it was on the trails in this local park. Yeah. So um, I kind of signed up and did that without any like real specific ultra training, um, but loved it right away. And, and then it opened up my eyes and my world to this whole ultra running thing. I had no idea these races existed. I didn't know, yeah, of this whole world. <laughs> Yeah. Well, when, when was that? Like what year? 2011. Okay. I feel like since then it's totally, it's exploded and gotten a lot bigger. Yeah, for sure. But at the same time, I'm like, is that just cause I didn't, I didn't really know about it till like 2013. So okay. I'm like, has it actually gotten bigger or do I just know more about it at this point? Right. Yeah. yeah. Or there's, yeah more resources for it out there. I don't know. Yeah. What was it that like drew you to it after, after you ran the race? What was it where you're like, Oh, that was awesome. I love that part of it. I think I loved the culture. Like the people of it were so friendly and chill, like a really laid back culture versus a road marathon um, race, which just feels a little less personal. Like you yeah. don't end up talking to the people next to you in a road marathon usually. Um, and I loved just weaving around these trails in the woods all day. Yeah. I thought that was so cool. Um, and then I think I just instantly wondered what else was possible if 50K was – like if I could do 50K, then I need to find a 50-mile race and try that. Yeah. And then so you, did you do the normal progression, like 50-mile, then 100K, then finally 100? Um, I did – that 50k then i did a 50 mile and then i did i attempted a 100 mile okay and um dnf that around 60 miles so my my progression um yeah i tried to progress that way and i think that was a little too quick for what i was ready for <laughs> yeah you have some lessons you have to learn i think i've never done oh, a 100 yeah. miler i've done a couple 50s but like and then people are like oh you did a 50 you could totally do a hundred miler. Like I'm like, that's double the distance, man. Yeah. But, I mean, I do think any, anyone could do a hundred miles, but you definitely have to like respect that distance and, and, uh, do some of that front end work. And yeah. then you have to believe in yourself. Like the major reason I dropped out of that hundred mile race is I stopped believing that I could do it. And I thought, Oh, this distance isn't for me. Like I'm not capable of, of covering this distance and I'm done like yeah. throw in the towel. So yeah, once again, like that negative voice got in there for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't know how to fight past it. I just like gave into it really quickly. Yeah. What was it just like really painful or were you not able to keep food down or what, what was the factor? Yeah. It just was physically hard. Like my legs hurt really bad, yeah. which, now in hindsight, I'm like, well, of course they hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's part of it. But I didn't know that. And I was like, you know, 
all like mentally really out of sorts and physically in all this pain and just gave into it pretty quick. Yeah. And <laughs> so the bit like, did you learn the lesson of eventually you will re- rebound from that? Like it's, you're still probably going to be in pain, but at least you're like the whole like unbonk kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Totally learned um, a ton from that DNF, but I think the biggest part it taught me is that mental piece of ultra running. It's more than just a physical battle out there. You have to be battling with your head as well. Yeah. Yeah. So then when did you hear about 200 miles? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh gosh. I don't know. Probably a few years after that. Yeah. And, and I just sort of eyed them from a distance for a couple of years until I felt like I had, um, yeah, accumulated enough miles and enough experience on my body to attempt one. Yeah. And yeah, What's, they're awesome. Though. What, you should do one. <laughs> That's what, yeah. I talked to Candace a couple of times on here and she's like, you should totally sign up. I'm like, yes, I have 200 miles. That's like, I don't even know the math. I don't even, it's like four it, times. It's the so distance. cool. <laughs> it's such an adventure. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. You've got to put it on your, on your list I eventually. Know. Well, now I've no, I've met a whole bunch of people who have not a whole bunch, but I've met some people who have attempted them and every single person says the same thing. So what, what is the distance difference between a hundred miler and 200? Cause everyone's like, Oh, 200 mile. It's totally different. Like it's a completely different experience. Um, it's a completely different event. So can you kind of like describe that? Like how is it, how does it feel different than a hundred besides obviously like the distance? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, 200, those 200 mile races, you can go into it with the intent of just an adventure, like a fully supported 200 mile adventure where that's your only job for, I mean, Candace's races, her cutoffs are, like five days or something like that. So it's like, that's what you get to do for five days. And a lot of people carry, you know, full gear so they can just bring, get out their bivy sack when they get sleepy and yeah. they lay on the side of the trail. <laughs> they yeah. stop at aid stations, you know, and like have burgers and quesadillas. It's, it's awesome. And um, the community around it is, is so wonderful. Yeah. It's, I think it can be raced similar though to a hundred mile where you you push the whole time and I think we can bring down those finish times quite a bit um, if people are interested in like pushing for that long. Yeah. Do you think it's important to have someone you're competing with for the last few hours? You know, like if you are, if someone is going to push those those times down, do you think it's like you almost have to have someone out there you're racing at that point. Yeah. I don't know if you'd have to necessarily, but for sure it's a benefit and, and like having each other just helps you raise the bar, you know, and, and push maybe farther and faster than you initially thought you could. Yeah. So it probably could, um, make it quicker, but I think just the mindset of a 200 is this adventure. Yeah. And so you can make it whatever you want. And and if you want to just be pushing yourself the whole time, then I think that works great too. Yeah, that's cool. My friend Thomas gave me like the best advice. He did the Bigfoot 200 a couple years ago. And he was like, 
he for him he's like don't use the sleep stations like sleep on yeah. the trail because you're gonna be uncomfortable and you're gonna wake up a lot quicker and i was like oh that's actually a good point man oh so you're already taking advice you're gonna do one i know i'm i'm hearing his advice i'm like absorbing it and i'm like maybe maybe for yeah, the future yeah. but i don't know <laughs> just absorb for a few more years you'll be ready there you go it just seems like oh, that's the I know, and we'll get to kind of your the backyard ultra if you're cool with that, because I want to hear about that, because I think that might be like the next big thing in ultra running. But um, 200 miles right now, I'm like, there can't be anything crazier than 200 miles. But then you go on like <laughs> ultra sign up, and you're like, oh my god, there is. <laughs> so there's always something crazier yeah i was just on ultra sign up actually and it had another kind of i mean it was just an exact copy of the backyard ultra it was some minnesota one and it was just like last man standing last woman standing a kind of deal and i'm like oh my god People yeah so it's it's kind of cool that format is um i mean i don't know if some of these races already were happening but a lot more have popped up in the past couple of years, I think. And now Laz for his big backyard is taking winners from like 10 of the other last man standing events and letting them be in his big backyard so that um, bigs can be more of like a, a championship yeah. of last man standing format, <laughs> so which is you... really cool. So there's a bunch all over the world now. Can you kind of describe the format there? uh yeah yeah <laughs> yes which is the craziest thing like it's, it's yeah it's... it's silly um so there's no finish line and there's no set time it's a 4.1 mile loop and every hour everyone starts that loop at the same time you finish the loop and then you have whatever time remaining in that 60 minutes to eat or to close your eyes or to change clothes go to the bathroom but then when that hour's up, you start your loop again. Yeah. So it's just like this time warp of like 4.1 miles. Shove some food in your face. He rings a bell and then you run 4.1 miles again. Wow. What was yeah, your... Yeah, so you can drop out yourself or if you time out, if you don't make it back in time to start the next loop. Um, so it just slowly gets smaller. Yeah. What was your strategy like? Because... I guess in my mind, I'm like, okay, you could run really fast and then have a long break or you could time it up. So you're finishing almost exactly at 60 minutes and it'd be a lot, you know, you could sustain that pace a lot easier. Yeah. I think I was averaging like 48 to 52 minute okay. range for my laps. Um, so I definitely wanted to play the long game and not run very quickly. Like, uh, keep my heart rate low and like tax my systems as little as possible. Yeah. Um, but I also didn't want to roll in at, at 59 minutes. That felt like that'd be stressful Too high stakes. Yeah. yeah. Like what if you mess up the timing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it was kind of nice each time to have a moment to like reset, assess, you know, do I need to bring a, some food on this next lap or a bottle to drink from? So I liked having a few minutes there to to say hey to my husband who was crewing me and, and did, then get ready for the next one. Did he stay awake the whole entire time? 
the first night he took probably a three hour nap okay. because I was still pretty self-sufficient then. Like my brain was working fine and, and my body was just fine through that first night. But after that, I, I, um, it was very helpful for him to be there. So he would just grab, you know, 15 minutes of sleep when I was out on the loop, but he never had another like big chunk of sleep. Yeah. I think that's almost it's crazy. That's kind of a cool event for the crew too. Cause you just get to hang out with other people. Like, I don't know for the couple of days and totally it's like a family reunion. There's this big bonfire going, um, food, you know, being passed around all sorts of like you get to chat with all of the other crews and all the other runners. Like it's a cool thing to be a runner in as well because you see everyone. Yeah every single hour you don't get spread out in the middle of nowhere like you often do in an ultra yeah how far into the run did you start noticing that people were dropping out we had a pretty solid crew going into the second day um so how it works out is 4.1 miles every hour for 24 hours is 100 miles so every 24 hours, you cover exactly 100 miles. Okay. And we, we had quite a few people um, make it through that whole first 24 hours into the second day. That's which cool. Was cool. That is yeah. cool. Dang. That's, yeah. I just, that event and that format, I'm like, wow, people really are going to... Like, I don't think we'll ever find the limits of endurance, but people are really going to find like find out what they're made of during that. Yeah, it's the perfect way. Like, you have no one who's telling you when to stop. It's just when you're, when you, you're out of juice. Yeah, yeah. it's when, crazy. When you're down to like three people, are you? Is it more mutual suffering at that point, or, or is it the competition aspect getting you through it? Yeah, I, for me, it was just like an internal battle, and uh-huh. like staying in it because I really wanted to be in it at the end there. Um, but a- apparently you can play mind games with each other. I think I'd have to, I have to work on that to do this again. <laughs> it, it might be totally like, it's, it's also a great skill to just be totally clueless of if someone's playing mind games <laughs> yeah. to you and you're just like totally oblivious. You're like, yeah. well, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was oblivious, so if they were doing it, I didn't notice. There's something but, to be said about that, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, no one no one showed pain on the outside ever. Okay. So I guess that was kind of a mind game. But that's also just tricking yourself. Like, yeah. if, if you don't whimper and, like, you know, let yourself show that you're feeling the pain and you're just faking that it's fine, that's a boost for your own sanity as well. Yeah, yeah, it's – yeah, exactly. Do you – I guess when you're when you're looking like another thing ultra running a lot of people are kind of getting into is the whole like FKT kind of deal. Like are you interested in any of that or are you just mostly like down for like the actual events? Uh both. I yeah. love racing and I love um the whole, you know, weekend around racing and how it gathers all of these people in the same place. I also I'm intrigued by some of the FKT sections for sure. The long ones, yeah, I think look really interesting. Like what the Colorado Trail is, 500 miles or yeah. something. That would be a cool way to see the state. 
you know? True. I know. That's actually my only mission as a dad is that my girls, when they're old enough, want to hang out with me enough that we could hike the Colorado Trail. I'm like, oh, oh that's best, awesome. You know? That would be so cool. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's true. Like it is just the other thing about ultra running and doing trail running and doing all these crazy things is you get to explore and you get to see all these really interesting places. And yeah, if you're doing a long trail like that, you're just experiencing all these places that most people aren't able to go to. Yeah, it's cool where your feet can take you. But at the same time, doing it as fast as you possibly can, like what draws you to that? Uh, the challenge of it. Yeah. Yeah, to to just try and, you know, what does that look like to efficiently put together that many days of running? Yeah. That's pretty crazy. And yeah. I think that's cool. Do you have like a scientific mind where you like that challenge of like figuring everything out beforehand? Uh, in a way, but not super attached to data or numbers or any of that. Yeah. So I think my brain does think like that, but not like full on. My husband is a big numbers guy. So like when we go to races, he's, you know, guest at my pacing. And so he's got this spreadsheet that he can use then for crewing and aid stations and stuff. But that's too many numbers for me to yeah. to worry about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes I, I I'm totally the same exact way where it's like if you can run by feel, I don't know. It's just there's something to be said about that because, you know, your body so well. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Which is cool. That's cool. So what else do you got planned this year? You were just mentioning before we started about New Zealand. Yeah, headed to New Zealand um, in a few days for Tarawera 100K, which will start off my race season. And then, yeah, we'll dabble my way through some cool <laughs> stuff this year, hopefully. I saw I, – I was looking on Ultra Sign Up today, so you got Hard Rock on there? Yeah. Oh, that's got rock. it in the lottery. I'm so excited. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be a focus for sure. I, uh, the opportunity to run that race doesn't come very often and, um, I'm really excited to get the chance. Yeah. That's another one. Like just as a Colorado nerd, I mean, being in the San Juan mountains, that has to be incredible. Oh, it's so beautiful down there. Yeah. Have you been, uh, we, <laughs> we drove through last year on a family road trip. And we did, I can't remember what the road's called, like Million Dollar Road or something. Yeah, yeah, you know Million Dollar about? Highway. That's it, yeah. And I wanted to stop in Silverton so bad, but my two-year-old threw up in the car like four times on that road. <laughs> and I was like, we got to get to Durango. Like, we just have to. <laughs> so I'm sorry, it's not funny. <laughs> I'm sure that was awful. It was the most stressful. Oh, I, it, okay, I'll tell the story. So it was the most stressful day of the vacation. We woke up, we drove the road, she threw up four times. And then my four-year-old, we skipped breakfast, which if you skip <laughs> breakfast for a four-year-old, like hell is going to rain down on you. And so hell rains down on us at this like poor diner in Durango. I felt so bad for those people in there. <laughs> and uh, we start driving around and the kids finally fall asleep. And this is no joke. My wife goes into the gas station and comes out and she goes, I'm pregnant again. And I was like, oh my God. Is that real? <laughs> That's real. Yeah. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. What a day. Yeah, I know. So, we found out she was pregnant after like the most stressful moment that you possibly could have on a vacation. 
That's crazy. Is, what and, a good story, though. And like you know, you like you're like, oh, we're meant for each other because we were excited about it, but we both looked at each other like we're gonna be okay, right? Like we'll figure yeah. this out. <laughs> <laughs> So long story short, I've never been uh, to Silver Silverton. <laughs> yeah, or like you haven't seen the trails around there or anything. I haven't. No, I just the mountains yeah. around there look unbelievable, though. They're so beautiful. You'll have to make it a uh, make it another trip one of these summers yeah. and see it. Yeah. Yo, know, and then just <laughs> the legends from Hard Rock. Like I just I love the stories that come out of that race every year. Yeah, yeah. It'll be cool to be a part of. It's. It's crazy. Yeah. So what do you do to go about training for that? Like, do you, is it intent? Do you intentionally go up into the mountains more and train at higher elevation? I think so. I mean, I'll take any wisdom that anyone has. So feel free to chime in. (laughs) Anybody. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, let me know. But yeah, I think getting at altitude definitely needs to be a priority and um, doing some of those big mountains and, and hiking. I think a lot of like practicing your hiking and building those muscles will be important, but I don't know. I, I gotta, yeah, start figuring out what I should do for that probably. Yeah. Yeah. What, what kind of, uh, trails do you run around golden? Like do you just do all the trails or are you running through town or what? Uh, yes. All of that. Just all of it. Yeah. I love the trails around here. Lately, it's been quite a bit of road because um, we've got some messy trails right now. Yeah. But I think all of it's fun. It's so beautiful around here. So even the bike paths or the roads are, are cool to run on. That's awesome. Any like misadventures while training? Nothing that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah. Yeah. I got to ask you, the, like, I guess one of the last things I definitely want to hear about and I know you've told the story a bunch of times, but the whole run rabbit run, like losing your eyesight is just insane. And then I have to think like during a race, if things are going bad, you can be, you can like think to yourself, like, at least I can see at this point. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's a great perspective. <laughs> so like, did you ever figure out what happened? Like what happened? Uh, I'm some eye doctors called it corneal edema, but that was just from me describing my symptoms. Like they didn't actually get to test on my eyes when I was blind, like I was. Okay. Um, but yeah, just a whiteness crept in from the sides and eventually closed in where, um, all I could see was directly in front of my toes. So I was staring down at my feet as I was trying to still, you know, haul it on this trail because I was racing. Um, so it wasn't pretty. I fell everywhere and tripped over, you know, every rock and root that was there. But I couldn't even see my hand in front of my face. Like, yeah, it was crazy. Did I don't you- recommend it. Yeah, it wasn't that fun, but like it was the situation. So, so you dealt with was- it. That was what we did, yeah. Did you tell anyone around you, like, during those moments? No one was running around me, um, but I got to an aid station with six miles to go. And so I I had fallen and hit my head on a rock, so my face was covered in blood. Um, and I rolled into that aid station and was basically just like, I'm, I have a problem. I can't see. And like, is this blood on my face? Because I think it is, but I can't see it on my hand, you know? <laughs> what did they say? 
I think they were just like, what is happening? <laughs> were you worried they were going to pull you from the race? Um, I A little bit, but for me, like there was no reason to get pulled from the race because the blindness happened first and then I hit my head. Oh, okay. You know, like if I had hit my head and was going blind after that, like that seems medically a little more urgent. Yeah. But it was this whiteness that had crept in over time and and uh, the head seemed fine. Like I didn't lose consciousness when I hit my head. So I didn't feel like it was reason for a medical pull. Um, but I did really want to just get to that finish line so yeah. that I could stop falling. <laughs> That's insane. What did they say? Like, what did the race director say when you got in? He, he uh, was great and helped me, you know, get to the medics who then hauled me off to the nearby hospital to get, you know, my head scanned and figure out if everything was okay. Um, but yeah, he was great. They assigned a, a volunteer from that aid station to run down the last bit with me so that I wouldn't like veer off the mountain, oh, like yeah. tumble down the side of the ski slopes. Um, yeah. So she was awesome. She just described the trail as we were running. I was like, there's a giant rock on your left. There's a cliff on your right. Like <laughs> now the rocks are smaller. Pick up your feet. You know, like wow. it was crazy. That yeah. is crazy. Once you had her helping you, did you fall anymore or? Uh, I think I stumbled a couple times, but I didn't take huge diggers anymore. Cause, yeah. Yeah. It was nice to have the audio on, on what the ground was doing. That has to be one of the craziest ultra running stories in a sport full of crazy stories. <laughs> I don't know. It was, it, yeah. <laughs> and then to get to the ending where they're like, hey, congrats. Like, you won the race, right? Yeah. So you won the race. He's like, hey, congrats. You won. Okay, get in this ambulance. Like, Yeah. <laughs> like, where's my post-race beer? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Come on, man. Did <laughs> Did – were you worried at all? Like, were you freaking out or were you just kind of like nonchalant? Like, yeah, it'll come back. Um, I, I think I just figured it would come back, but I definitely, by the time I finished was, was tired of it. Like, yeah, I would like this to be fixed and I would like to figure out what's going on so that it can be fixed because yeah, it had just gotten old. <laughs> How quickly did it come back? I think it was like six hours. Really? Yeah. Isn't bad. Did beer help? <laughs> well, they didn't serve that at the hospital. I don't uh. know. <laughs> but I think the IV, they hooked me up to an IV oh, after. Okay. So really quickly I got um, calories and just nutrition back in. So I think that probably helped. And then later that night, beer definitely helped. Totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, I guess like for one last thing. I know I have a lot of people who listen who are ultra runners and have done like some crazy events, but I have people who listen who have never even attempted, uh, you know, kind of like an outdoor adventure kind of deal. So um, do you have any piece of advice for someone who wants to step outside their comfort zone, but just hasn't, but just hasn't like found the reason to yet? Yeah, I think um, the reason's kind of important. Like, you have to want it. You you can't be doing it for someone else. Yeah. You know? But 
just, I mean, the what you can do out there, no matter if it's, you know, running the trails or not, if you believe in yourself and if you um, are willing to put in the work for whatever that thing is, like, it's possible and, and you can make it happen with with some patience, you know, you got to give it some time and some consistency, yeah. I think. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I also got to tell you one last thing. My, yeah. my middle school where I was looking at the yearbook last year and you are in a middle school yearbook because it what? says there's like this weird thing in the middle of it that's like what happened during this year and it talks about like movies music and then it's like athletics and it's like Courtney DeWalter wins the Moab 240 I'm like that is <laughs> an ultra running thing in a middle school yearbook like how awesome is that that's crazy. So I, I didn't know if you knew of that honor. <laughs> I didn't. No. Thank you, though. <laughs> yeah. I was like, who, like, who even, you know, like, ultra running such, like, a niche sport at this point. Like, who knows enough to put it in there? But I thought that was so cool. It'd be cool if more kids just, it becomes more normal for kids to hear about and then maybe, you know, to start trying yeah. for them to get out on trails and Colorado is so amazing for that. So it is for sure. Yeah. So awesome. Thank you, Courtney, so much. I was like a really real honor to have you on the show. You're awesome. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah. I'll see you on the trails around here. All right. Sounds good. You'll be running faster than me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That'll wrap up this week's episode of like a Bigfoot podcast. Courtney, once again, so honored. Thank you so much. Um, if somehow, some way, Courtney DeWalter was not on your radar, like look up all the stories about her. It's amazing. Um, and I think I was watching something this morning and I was like, it was one of the like ultra running films and stuff. And <laughs> I'm like, why does the ultra running fascinate, fascinate me? And really, I think it's starting to capture the imagination of all sorts of people at this point. And I'm like, why does it? why does it fascinate me? And I realize I'm like, it's just about watching people really go through something that's really, really difficult. Like I know everyone says it's like pushing their bodies to the limit, but it's true. You watch, if you go online and go on YouTube and type in some ultra running videos, or if you've ever been to a race and you've seen people at the finish or you've been in a race and you know how you feel at the end of one of these. Um, it's something that is just really interesting to watch because people are not running fast. It's not like when you see, well, Courtney is my bad. She's totally running fast, but most of us are, are like, <laughs> um, you see people limping their way through and you're like, man, the thing that is driving these people is their brain, is their mind because their body hurts at this point. Everything hurts. It's something you just accept as an ultra runner. You're like, hey, we're at a certain point, everything's going to hurt and yet I have to put that pain aside, put that pain in the corner and just keep going and push through the pain and somehow numb, numb your feet and your pain and like all this stuff. And you can't worry about that because of course that's going to happen. And your mind is really what's, what's pushing you towards the finish. And I think that's something for me, it's interesting, but I think for, if you've never seen an ultra running video, I mean, I think that's something you guys can totally take away from that. And you can realize like, Oh, your mind 
can push you through so much more. And I'm thinking back right now to this like ninth grade football coach I had (laughs) and during sprints, because nothing is worse in football than sprints. You know, you're like sprinting 100 yards and then you're lining up at the goal line. You're sprinting back 100 yards, which makes no sense for football training, to be fair. Because I'm like, when in a football game are you running 200 yards like in one almost continuous shot like that never happens. But for some reason you do sprints and it sucks every single time. And I remember our coach was like, you got to have MTXE. And I was like, what's that? Like my ninth grade self was like, what does that mean? Um, And he's like, you have to have mental toughness and extra effort. And I think that was the first time in my life I ever heard the phrase mental toughness. And I was like, I thought someone was just tough. Like, I thought you're just physically tough. Like, if you're good at football, for example, you're or like Rocky, right? Because, you know, in ninth grade, your life revolves around Rocky as a ninth grade boy. Um, and I'm like, I, th- I just thought you were physically tough. Like you some people can take the punishment and some people can't. And really physical toughness, though, maybe important. It's probably such a small percent in what you're able to withstand and especially in endurance sports, what you're able to endure um, and mental toughness takes the cake. I mean, mental toughness is really what's going to, if you're tough and you're stubborn and you're just like, I'm going to get this done and I don't care how much pain I'm in. I don't care how long it takes me. I'm going to get this event finished you are able to do it. You find a way to do it. And if you're someone out there and you haven't tried something that sounds this difficult, I really think there's so many lessons you can learn and so many things you can learn about yourself um, that you're able to apply to all the other areas. Uh, And also, like, as I think back, I'm like, I'm relating this to teaching now. Cause I'm a middle school science teacher. If you didn't hear <laughs> in the show. <laughs> um, and uh, this is like the mo- the episode where I mentioned that the most, I think. So sorry. <laughs> um, but I was thinking about teaching the other day um, before school. And I was thinking about this conversation I just had with Courtney and I'm like, man, like for me, the lessons from teaching and the lessons from like endurance sports, those are the things that really have, have like guided my life. And of course the lessons from parenting, that's a whole nother ball game. But, um, and I was thinking about teaching and I'm like, Oh man, when you're teaching, there's the whole movement of like, you got to be in the present moment, which is easy to say hard to do. Um, and when you're teaching though, it is so true. Like you got to think about what kind of person you are being in that moment, right? Like I show up to school on a Monday morning at seven when the kids start coming up the stairs, all the 13 year olds and 14 year olds, they just, you know, teenagers, which most people are terrified by. They're all coming up the stairs and you know, there's part of you that's like, Oh, this is, this is a job. Like, you know, and everyone with whatever your job is, sometimes you're like, you can get into that negative mindset, especially on Mondays. You can just be like Garfield and be like, I hate Mondays. 
Um, but as a teacher, you got to think about what the, who the person you are being is. I don't know if that sentence even made sense. You got to think about who you're showing up as, right? How are you showing up? What's your mood? You got to be aware of like every single moment and your energy in every single moment because how, like the how, how you show up really is what matters. Um, you know, cause if you show up in a grumpy mood and a kid, you know, may have had a rough weekend and they show up and you snap at them, it's like, they didn't deserve that. They aren't why you're in a grumpy mood. You know what I mean? But vice versa, you can choose in that moment to be present and really be there for the, your student, be there for the person, um, who might need you in that moment. And you can like switch their mindset in a second and that's your choice. And as a teacher, it's, it's that importance is like thrown in your face every single day. And, and I can only speak from my experience from it, but it's taught me about self-fulfilling prophecies where if I come in, I'm like, Oh, today's going to suck. Everything that could go wrong goes wrong and I'm not flexible. And that day's, difficult right but if i come in in the morning i'm like you know what today's gonna be awesome um based off of my energy my mood the way i'm running my classroom it feeds onto other people and all of a sudden i can make the kids who may have been stressed out i can make them kind of lighten up and you want them to you know you want them to be having fun because in the moments they're having fun or or thinking positively i guess i should say those are the times they can actually learn. And I'm I'm able, I'm hoping, I'm hoping I'm able to take this lesson to every area of my life and really just be aware of in that moment, how am I showing up? What how am I affecting the people around me? Am I affecting them in a positive way or a negative way? Because there's a saying as a teacher where it's like, hey, you know, 20 years down the line, you're gonna be remembered. Now what you're remembered for is up to you. Really. You're either going to be remembered as like, who do you remember as teachers? You remember the really good ones and you remember the ones who made you feel terrible. And for me, as I'm thinking about like the people I'm able to affect, I'm like, Oh, I don't want to be remembered as a really terrible one. (laughs) You know, I don't want to be remembered for making students feel bad or anything like that. Um, and so ultra running to connect it to that, because for me, they do, they've had a huge link in my life. And so to connect ultra running to that, ultra running teaches you to be in the moment as well, where you're like, okay, I got to think about just the movement right now, my footsteps, like, how's this going? How am I feeling? You're like really trying to like understand how your body is feeling in different moments throughout the race, because that's going to coordinate your race strategy from there your hydration, your nutrition, all of that stuff. And so you really, it's kind of practicing becoming in tune with right here, right now. And I think that's, that's a lesson that can, you can use in every single area of your life. And I'm not sure I'm, I'm looking at the time. I just talked for like 
six or seven minutes about that. And I'm not sure if any of that made sense. So hopefully it did. <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah. So those two areas, man, I love them. I'm super passionate about them. And I feel like they've made me a better person at the end of the day <laughs> because of lessons that, uh, you know, sometimes you learn through hardships. Sometimes that hardships, you know, is going out in the trail when it's super cold or super hot and running a whole bunch of miles. And sometimes that hardship is having to present a lesson to a whole bunch of adolescents uh, <laughs> multiple times throughout the day. <laughs> um, all right, that's where we're going to wrap this episode. If you guys enjoyed this, um, you can go back and check out all of our episodes. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, all those places, all that stuff. Uh, once again, huge thanks to Courtney. Um, and then another just side thanks. She reminded me that the Arrowhead 135, the race in Minnesota, last last week during the Polar Vortex, like literally Monday through Wednesday of the Polar Vortex, where it was like negative 30 the whole time. Um she reminded me that that actually was still going on. And so I've reached out to a few people from that race and hopefully cross my fingers. Hopefully next week we'll bring you an episode all about the Arrowhead 135. What has got to be one of the absolute coldest sporting events ever. And a sporting event that lasted, you know, however long that lasts, like two days or whatever, maybe three days. So tune in next week. It's going to like blow your mind. And we're all going to be listening to this in a nice warm house next to the heater or the fireplace. That'd be my suggestion. So, all right, guys, get back at you next week. See ya.